Hello and welcome back to the Performance Rising podcast. Today, I feel very lucky. I am talking with upstate New York, Syracuse royalty. He's a coach. He's a trainer. He's a reverend. He is an incredible dude, an advocate, an impassioned friend, the one and only Michael Scrow. Michael, welcome. I've got the old man wheeze, you know, like when someone does something very nice, the old man wheeze just starts like, you kids in your nice introductions. Uh, thank you. That's very nice of you. You're welcome and and well-deserved. Uh, for those not in the greater upstate New York area or even the greater Syracuse area, Michael has really built himself a brand and a movement, I dare say, that is putting empathy front and center for business leaders, employees, teams, uh, and it's it's needed. And I think you were on this wave long before it became the wave. And so watching you, uh, we were talking right beforehand, but watching you blow up and kind of um, get the attention and recognition that you deserve has been really rewarding for me. Mm-hmm. And on another note, uh, Michael went to Lemoyne. Mm-hmm. And uh, through my very good friend, Carissa Miles, we were introduced, also a LeMoyne graduate, mm-hmm. uh, who she sends her best. So mm-hmm. I have known Michael uh, for several years and now really looking forward to having this conversation. So with that said, Michael, why don't we start with the your story? Sure. And you can go wherever you want to go with that story. So it's all yours. Thank you. Um, I like to talk about uh, an old cartoon to talk about my story, and it was called The Get Along Gang. The Get Along Gang, yeah. Yeah, and so there was all these different animals, and uh, what was neat about it was um, you can send away for the like leadership kit of The Get Along Gang, no joke. I have a copy of the article. Like I found it on the internet because I had ordered it as a kid and um, I got the kit and there was about 40 of us Irish and Italian kids on the north side of Syracuse that were the get along gang. So my story story starts there (laughs) where uh, the moose was the one in charge and that was me. And so I would teach school I would keep books from the year, uh, whatever grade we were in, and teachers would give me any unused copies of textbooks and stuff. So in the summer, I taught school, and then I would bring all the kids to the park, and we would do arts and crafts. And I would force them to do arts and crafts if they weren't you know, inclined. Um, and that's sort of like where everything sort of begins for me. I saw myself as a little bit of an unusual kid. Uh, despite being sort of quiet and sort of to himself, I sort of always found myself uh, either being asked or putting things together for other people. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's where sort of all of this magic sort of started and uh, cut to college where I became an RA, which I thought was the most magical thing you could be on a college campus because you knew all the stuff. (laughs) And it was like a... Yeah, you knew all the secrets, what was going on, and people had to listen to you and all that kind of fun stuff. But where I really excelled with that was like the programming, bringing people together, creating community. And so I found just in my youth and in my early adulthood, I gravitated towards helping people, 
being a safe place to fall for folks. But also when I saw something that was not good or right, I often would speak up. I was very outspoken, even without Twitter and Instagram as a kid. I was like the person that went to the room to talk to the people about the thing, you know? And uh, that's just sort of what I've taken into my overall career. Um, I spent 20 years in higher education. So after college, I thought, how cool you could work at colleges. <laughs> so uh, I worked at uh, Fordham University, uh, NYU, uh, LeMoyne College, SUNY Oswego, and SUNY Cortland. So my 20-year journey took me from uh, developing programs in residence halls, you know, you know, thinking about that that first job as a resident director where 500 students in the Bronx were in my building and I had to kick out, uh, oh, well, I tried to kick out um, a certain baseball player who's risen to a, 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 a fame. <laughs> I won't mention his name, but funny story, 10 years after that, I was at a conference in Kansas City and the Yankees were playing and the person who was in a kick out of this residence hall had the room right next door to me. So we had an awkward moment then, yeah. really true story. Um, but I found myself working in leadership development, helping people, fundraising, marketing, sort of all the aspects of running businesses in my higher ed career. And my last job uh, also was running uh, independent 501c nonprofit alumni association. And uh, I learned a lot about like, business and, and managing employees and sort of various, you know, pieces of paperwork and things you needed to know. And so just my career as an educator really prepared me for the work I do now and my childhood and just sort of all of the really unique opportunities I had just really, uh, I couldn't have planned it better. So when people yeah. say to me, you, you're blowing up, you're doing all these things. I, I tell you, I, if I were to look back and tell you what to do to prepare for a career in coaching, I would have shared a lot of these experiences that do this, do that, do that. You know what I mean? So yeah. very blessed that I was afforded all these really neat opportunities to now really take what I know and constantly be learning and applying that to helping people sort of in this, I think, 21st century work model that is very different than what we used to know before COVID. You know, yeah. I, before yeah. uh, we just started, I shared with you, I think most people want to follow their own dreams and not the dreams of other people. And so are more entrepreneurial or very different about how they acquire wealth and success uh, because they're doing it based on what they believe to be good for them or their purpose, you know? So that's a lot to say that uh, I feel like I did a lot of running through the motions of figuring things out with people for a long time. And now I'm in a position to be able to share those insights, share those muscles with people um, to help grow their organization or their individual competencies. That's a lot. And you are a lot. Um, <laughs> I would like to kind of poke a hole here in the humility because you're a very yes. humble guy. I would love to know what, what you think it is about you whether it was an experience pattern that so strongly resonates with other people. Why are people drawn to you? Do you have a sense of that? There's one thing I know internally that I've always known about myself. And it's something that's been said to me a few times. The thing internally is that, you know, without sort of uh, having ever talked publicly or written anything about it, I, I didn't have a great childhood. I didn't have yeah. a lot of means we weren't rich, you know, there a lot of hardship, 
a lot of failure, a lot of tough times, and maybe even bad experiences, I think is one of the reasons why I might have a very strong sense of empathy. Um, in fact, I'm working with a researcher now because we believe, uh, we haven't proved it yet, but we believe that people who have been marginalized in any way tend to have higher empathy. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, I'm paying attention to people and I just sort of manifest when they need me because I'm picking up what they're throwing down. Right. Yes. And so I think that's part one. And part two, I've been told several times from the most gruff of people who have said that I um, disarm them pretty quickly. Yeah. I, I just, I'm not, I don't want to fight with you. Like, so like, I'm going to show up in a way that's going to be okay yeah. and disarm you to open the door to good heart to heart conversation. Um, and I've heard that repeatedly, particularly from like very gruff dominant men. Sure. <laughs> and so for me, like for that crowd to say that seems like there might be something to it, you know? I certainly mean this with due respect to all adults, but even being in psychology, I know enough that we are all children, mm. you know, and, and we, respond to energy in a very childlike way despite whatever exterior we might have it, it, you know i'm not going to project I, I certainly feel that there are times when i'm just a little boy saying hey would you mind loving me a little bit right now and you know it also brings into focus something you mentioned about your childhood and i certainly had my own struggles and i think about as a parent the muscles that were developed in that cauldron I hope my kids will never have to develop. And yet that also is a limiting factor to them. Like it mm -hmm. can't be given per se. Do you agree mm -hmm. with that? There's something to sort of like forced development that is a positive, you know, like in my family, I found like I was the leader of my family mm -hmm. as dysfunctional as things were. Uh, I was the oldest child. I think I was parentified very young. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think that performing that way today um, feels unusual because I feel like I've, I've just, I, I still think of myself as an RA. Sure. <laughs> I live in downtown sure. Syracuse. I think I'm the downtown RA. I'm just, I pass I, by people. How can I help you? You know, yeah. uh, <laughs> I'm that guy down the, the street who could help. Um, so there's something to be said that I benefited from, from hardship or sort of this forced development. Um, and I think just my archetype, I don't think every kid is born with this. Um, I think my archetype helps, you know, the, the type of human I am, you yeah. know, consider, but also, you know, raised by largely my grandmother until I was 12, who, you know, she pulled my ear, she yelled at me, she slapped me. <laughs> <laughs> because the house wasn't clean. You know what I mean? I'm like, so, uh, but I, I thank her for all of that today because mm -hmm. it got my act together quick. So I don't know. It's, it's, I, I wouldn't know what to tell to a, a parent today right. about right. how to do some of this because, you know, circumstances allowed for some of the stuff I learned, but I wouldn't say the same circumstances wouldn't be the ones we were rooting for. Sure. So it is a little yeah, bit right. of a conundrum, you know? Yeah, even thinking about that more, I, I slice it a little thinner and say that there is certainly the cognitive aspect of empathy and caregiving 
but then there's the practice environment. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think you can create a practice environment. There are unfortunately practice environments that are more visceral than others. And I think we've experienced some of them. So by all means, I think we, we can teach our children and young people. Uh, but there is something about that cauldron that maybe edges and etches a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, with that said, and, and kind of pivoting quickly, talking about archetypes, which I'm a big fan of, you're definitely a caregiver, which would be a very strong uh, archetypal expression of yours. So with that said, I wonder what you do for yourself, because one of the pitfalls of the caregiver or the RA of Syracuse, as you said, mm-hmm is that you give and give and give and give and give and give and then you hit rock bottom because there's not really a return so just curious uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing what is it that you do for yourself to to keep vibrant yeah so i i wouldn't call myself a workaholic anymore good you know? so when i started this business despite uh it being successful and like i could throw myself all the way in um I created expectations for myself, just like you would for an employee. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, before I ended my higher ed, higher ed career, I had two ulcers. And so I knew that while my life as an educator, helping people was uh, a good thing, I was a workaholic. I didn't have any sort of, you know, um, concern about eating well and water and going potty on time right all those things were just you know to the to the wayside and so i would say today um i and i i see this under the the rubric of emotional intelligence i i do self-manage i take care of my own feelings in real time i don't allow them to just drift and what dr susan davids would say uh um amplify them so if I have a little nudge that's a worry, I solve whatever I'm worried about. Uh, if I get angry or disappointed about something, I ask myself why, and then try to take some sort of action to re- find resolution. Um, usually it's asking myself the question of, am I c- in control of this? And most of the time I'm not. And so when you practice that repeatedly, yeah, you don't hold on to stuff that's not yours, you know? And it's certainly that's prepared me for working with a variety of people and groups when they get into their stuff um, that I don't take any of that on. I just see it as opportunistic to help with some sort of performance strategy or some sort of uh, opportunity for them to pivot their work or their business, you know? And so I think it's just been repeated practice. And that's my commitment I'm keeping to myself because I'd rather do more of this, which I think is what you might be alluding to and seeing, but that wouldn't have come if I really didn't take care of myself. Right. You know what I mean? So I'm not working around the clock. Uh, I have a, 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 a schedule that meets my needs. I get to cuddle with my dog every day, right? <laughs> All those things are still in place. Um, and I do the work when it's in front of me in a very efficient way, you know? Did that come easy to you or was that a real heavy lift for you to develop those muscles uh the self-management was a heavy lift and i worked with a coach who helped me with that as well so i feel like now that i know that i'm able to help people with that you know for me it's it seems to be the biggest challenge coming out of covid isn't that we're not able to care for each other 
it's actually, you don't have a successful practice in taking care of you, which actually rob, robs you of capacity to have empathy. You know, so I don't think that most people in our country are not empathetic or don't have yeah. the talent, but they don't have the space because they themselves are worried, stressed, chronically stressed. And so haven't really found space to take care of all that, um, or at least take care of some of it, you know, and, um, and I, I did before the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> and almost, almost in a fortuitous future forward visionary thing. I mean, when I quit my last position uh, in education, I knew something was coming. I knew something was coming, you know? Yeah. And so I just, I just, I see patterns in chaos and I couldn't have predicted a pandemic, but it certainly shook up the workforce and, you know, sort of way we live our life and all that. I, I really connect to that. I would say, very definitively, I fall into that that category, like thousands, millions of people did, which is the pandemic really did a number. And, mm-hmm. and to your point, what you said so eloquently is just the space. It was just one thing after another. And uh, the more I talk to peers, colleagues, I ask, do you think you're surviving or thriving? And do you, can you give me an example of someone, you know, who is thriving? And honestly, I haven't found someone who's able, mm-hmm. able to say either a, I feel thriving or B, I can tell you someone who's thriving. Mm-hmm. You might be the exception. I, I would say I'm thriving. Yeah. yeah. And not in an arrogant way. Like that yeah, sounds exactly. like it could be, but it's not. I feel that because I was sort of prepared to meet this moment, um, through like the height of the pandemic, I helped people in ways that were so profound and meaningful um, because people were willing to try something new, try something new. I did just a free series on emotional intelligence, uh, did 24 session monthly series. And um, I collected a survey at the end of each of those. And the one thing that people said was the most helpful was the self-management. Yeah. Uh, so it was, it was people looking for like, what, what am I in control of and what can I handle? Because they were not thriving, you know, they're barely keeping it together, particularly women who many of them had left the workforce because yeah. the challenges of childbearing and, and rearing fell to them, you know? And so I could tell you, I, you know, 80% of my clients are women. And so I hear this a lot in terms yeah. of just sort of what happened in the pandemic and then a whole bunch of dudes, <laughs> Mm-hmm. who are not, you know, uh, baby boomers who are millennials or Gen Z who have a very fresh outlook on life. And we're trying to be super dads, super spouse, and oh. two struggled in ways that they weren't prepared for, you know? What's your quick hit tip, if you don't mind sharing? Sure. What would be a quick hit tip for starting to wrestle with this control self-control and helping yourself just asking yourself the question will what i'm about to say or do help mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> you know and you have to be honest with yourself is it going to help scolding someone um because it's you know and a lot of our framework unfortunately for some of this has been around politics and so i don't frame human science around yep. politics right the biology doesn't care what party you are, 
right? Mm -hmm. So the human form, the human condition only works based on being a human. And so I think, you know, is what I'm going to say or do going to be helpful? And if you could, if you could do that, then you're on your way. Sure. Yeah. uh, That's sage advice. Um, Takes a lot of practice, as you said, doesn't happen overnight. Uh, It's certainly part of my journey and I can speak firsthand to that. With that being said, really to understand all that you do, I'll read your mission statement, which is we coach extraordinary leaders and develop empathy as a core competency with love, community, excellence, creativity, innovation, and fun. That's you. That's me. What does that, what does that mean to you if you boil it? Yeah. So a lot of people, because sometimes people, uh, companies will encourage employees to come see me for coaching and they immediately think they're in trouble. Yeah. And so one of my missions to, in sort of the coaching space is one, it's not remedial. It's actually for high performers Mm -hmm. who are achieving excellence, right? So like, if you go to the Olympics, you bring a coach, you'd be crazy not to bring a coach, right? right? To push yourself to that uh, so I'm not a job training uh, workforce development program, right? There's many of those in our communities where people are getting basic and maybe um, advanced skills. But we're talking about people who are high performers who just with some tweaks, some new habits, yeah. um, they're going to do great. You know, so uh, and what I find in that sort of uh, understanding is that most people, high performers are actually overusing their strengths which opens up a whole nother door to opportunity for them. And that's sort of like the secret sauce of the coaching. And then um, empathy, I believe, is the source code for everything. If you look at universal pr- principles, it always comes down to love. If you you cut to the chase to any sort of methodology, best practice, it always comes down to caring for other people, you know? And um, empathy specifically for me has been uh, a jam because most people think it's an act of kindness and empathy is actually the precursor to that. It's you understanding you should perform an act of kindness. Okay. I call it human radar. Mm -hmm. So boop, boop, boop. Oh, someone needs a hug, right? It's not the actual hug. That's a relationship skill, you know? So for me, I really want to make sure people understand what empathy actually is because most people are very good intentioned. So if you said, if I said to you, I need a hug, you give me a hug. Most people don't recognize other yes. people's feelings. Yes. So that is something I think we might be losing as a human species. Mm-hmm. And so if you could be hunting for it and waiting for the bips, you know, bip, 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 uh, then you're going to perform uh, empathy. And so, and then those five characteristics, those are my values. Those are the things mm-hmm. have been part of my life. Um, you know, some people see me as an unorthodox heretic in the things I do. So that's the innovation part. Sure. I think a lot of organizations don't develop best practices until everyone else has filled, figured them out and they look at the data. I mm-hmm. don't wait for the data. <laughs> I start trying something new because it is new and you're going to get some new results and it can't hurt. Right. 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 And, you know, I would consider myself a pretty fun person. Uh, Agreed. Is, is a general matter because in this space, it's got to be light. 
it can't be heavy. It's already hard enough. Yeah. Uh, the lightness actually makes it, you know, um, something that you can uh, dance with, you know, like when people come to my office, you're going to see unicorns, Pegasus, Pegacorns, a Wonder Woman Lego desk. I mean, it's, it's all there, right? Mm -hmm. So it just, again, I think it also disarms people that again, you're not in trouble. Yeah. This is good. And we're going to do something really good here, you know? Um, yeah. So that's sort of the overall, all overall take. And I, I'm just sort of, if I could just share, like I'm, I'm sourced from some very unusual sources that people would consider best in business. Um, Mother Teresa, Oprah, you know, I say I have my degree in Oprah. I've seen all 25 years of episodes, right? So I got my degree from her. Ayala Van Zant, Gary Zukoff, um, Cheryl Richardson, um, Debbie Ford, the late Debbie Ford, um, Dr. Susan David, Daniel Goldman. These are all thought leaders who many of them wrote books back in the early uh, 1990s. And so cut to me graduating college in New York City, and I'm, in, I'm sitting laid out in the self-help section. All right. Back then, people would get self-help books and put them in other books and walk around the bookstore. Today, self-help books are the fronts of the store. Yeah. yeah. Right. So like I've been cracking at this for a while to kind of figure out what are these concepts that we really should all know and then develop my own sort of, you know, pace or experimentation based on those concepts, you know, but those are the people who've inspired me, who have taught me and continue to teach me, you know, some new things about sort of the coaching space. And a subtext here, another subtext that I want to bring up, because again, I, I have experienced this from you and I share in this is that you, again, correct me if I'm wrong, you do not abide by being put into a box. You don't fit in a box. You don't see why boxes are used. And so you are really an inspiration and a motivator for others who feel that way that you know, this contemporary box, whatever that box is, professional, personal, there's another path. And that path is through authenticity and understanding that you you have to be the prisoner and the prison if you want to mm. kind of stay in that. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm just wondering, what do you feel about boxes and well, people stuck in boxes? I'd say here the... Uh, this is nuanced. I would say people like me actually as part of coaching would get more structure. Um, people who are more structured would get the more outside the box thinking. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because not everyone has the same sort of thought about that. It really, it sort of just describes the person talking about it. Right. And so um, I found that, um, very logical analytical thinkers need to have more fun, break the mold, think outside the box as a practice, because habitually that's not what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, and then people who are, you know, always outside the box, right. You're going to need to learn some structure. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, I say that because most people, if they're in marketing or if they're in coaching or anything that's about, um, selling or getting more people to buy your product. Most people use their own template mm -hmm. to market and sell. Yeah. 
All right. Or to coach or to Mm -hmm. teach or what have you. And so I understand that. And so I market to all people. There are times where I use a lot of facts and information and there are days I just have a few selfies. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Because I want both. I want all the types of people. Yeah. And, uh, but everyone's curriculum is a little bit different, I guess. You know what I mean? And for people who think I'm too wild and outside the box, don't ever find me. And I'm good with that because my goal isn't to have to convince you. I work with motivated people. You know what I mean? And if that's going to be an issue, like we're good. Mm -hmm. But the people who can run with me, they, I mean, they're, they're going to go on an adventure and they're going to learn and, um, and they too will be able to take that and in turn help the people that they're entrusted with, whether that's employees or people in their community, um, did that answer the question? I feel like you asked a very specific reason, but I was sort of looking at it at the framework. Um, did I answer it? So I'm a nonconformist. Yeah, yeah. So that was allowed you to answer that however you wanted okay, to, and you perfect. answered it brilliantly. Uh, so, but however, that is a wonderful pivot. And so one of the things, one of the challenges of this interview is how do I give you a platform to share all that you are. And in a limited time, it's near impossible. But what we were talking about before we started was a topic that has come up in other interviews and related specifically to my experience coaching collegiate athletics is we know, I know, I feel that we are at an inflection point with a generational shift post COVID, but also generational where the social emotional side of being part of a group, a team, in this case, a sports team, is becoming perhaps the most essential element of attracting, retaining, and and really optimizing performances of athletes. However, there is also a generational divide, which is that there are generations of coaches who didn't have that same experience. And athletics, unfortunately, is also one of the last bastions where of kind of a command control approach my way the highway uh there's no crying in baseball suck it up walk it off and i have i have the experience of seeing that rub big time and i can't i found some statistics to frame it a little further by all means this is not a an exhaustive study but uh so for example there are about in division one athletics. We'll just look at division one. Cause there's a lot of data about 90,000 athletes across the transfer portal. There's about 230,000 athletes in general. That's across all two year, four year NCAA schools, about 16% of male athletes are transferring. of female athletes. It goes by sport. So basketball, men's basketball, for example, 34.5. This is coming directly from the NCAA. Baseball, 26.9. Soccer, 22.9. In women's sports, basketball, 23%. Beach volleyball, 19.7. Tennis, 17.7. The supposition here is that people transfer because there is some sort of disconnect. And the NCAA points to things like playing time, a mismatch between their athletic expectations and their experience, relational issues with coaching staffs, 
and hope of playing professionally in the sport. So again, supposition is players leaving. They leave because there is some sort of rub. They're not having their needs met. They need to find another environment. Another study, this is Lavoie Silva Breen from 22, 2022. This is head coaches uh, of NCAA, uh, NCAA women's teams. This is just NCAA Division I women's teams. There was uh, so about 8,000 total coaches, 665 changed jobs outgoing. Left turned 665 turnovers, I should say. And that is further broken down to uh, these are female head coaches of women's sports, 40% turnover, male head coaches of female sports, 9%. Furthermore, Darwin 2020 uh, looked at assistant coaches who had turnover in women's sports and they identified toxic culture of recruiting, um, destructive leadership of head coaches burnout and work family balance. So I'm putting that all into a bucket for us again, by no means scientific, but for a general framing of a conversation about something's going on in athletics, there is this tension. People are leaving in high rates. And I wanted to spend some time and, and see if we could reimagine what the next evolution of an athletic program athletic to program might look like okay. i know you've done a lot of work with lemoyne for example mm -hmm. and so the last piece i will give is that we'll frame it with your consent kind of like a nesting doll because one of the issues if you will of athletics is it's always connected to other institutions as you know an athletic director reports to somebody who reports to somebody so you can't necessarily say an athletic department is separate from a school but in many ways, they act different. They have different rules, procedures. And so for this conversation, we will frame it as there is the AD suite, the athletic directors. Then you have the coaches. Then you have players. But even within players, we don't have to get too fine, but there's a division. Years are different. There's a leadership team in most teams and then you have what i would call support staff so this is athletic trainers doctors um but so let me stop there and say do you like that framework or would you like to change it no, i think that works okay yeah so if we start with the ad right and this is setting the tone uh, culture is always a big trigger here because you have to define it would you like to define culture for us in your working definition? Yeah, I'd say culture is the predominant behavior in the culture. Okay. Right. So if it's a zero tolerance for yelling at people, then that's the culture. But if it's not, then that's the culture. Right. So yeah, it's the it's the predominant behavior. Yeah. Okay. So if we stay at the AD level, what do you think? needs to change and how do we change it is that is that a good frame or is that a clunky question it's a great question let's go with it well we first have to look at sort of traditional recruiting of employees let's just look at that whole ad department uh of the professionals as its own recruitment challenge right yes. so the people they have to recruit the, the students and the players um as part of the future screening process, not one person gets a job without high emotional intelligence. 
Okay. Like not one person, not just the, the trainer, not just the associate director of compliance. Um, everybody has to have high EI. And if they don't, even at the screening process, it's expected that you will. So if you've got scores in the eighties, you're going to get a set of your own performance metrics to lead the way forward until you could retake and get a score in the nineties. Um, I make the same case for anyone hiring people who are in charge of other people. All right. Um, can I go in non sequitur for one second? hundred percent. Cause I'm just going to be a little running. It's my belief that at some point soon, we're going to have individual employers, leaders sue employees for the trauma they're causing to the culture. Wow. Okay. We're, yeah. we're just about there. It used to be your employees would sue the institution, the college, the department, a person, their employer. Uh, I think it's, we're going to start seeing it in the other way. You know, the people who are in charge of people, they're not infallible. They're, they're people. Yeah. Right. And through COVID, remember, everyone had to become a doctor, a real estate agent, a lawyer, mm -hmm. a medical expert, right? So you have mm -hmm. to be informed about everything now, right? So, but at the very least, to get back to the, the 80 department here, uh, everyone has to score high EI because we're not just thinking about the relationships that these people have to the players. It's the relationship they have to each other. I think one of the major issues we're seeing in a department like this is that they don't all even like each other. Yes. Okay. And whether that's the boundaries are drawn because of the sport they play, which sport brings in the most money, you, you name the issue. Someone doesn't like people born on Saturdays, right? Like whatever the issue is, there's, you know, mine, 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 my team, my thing, my area focus. Um, and if you got high EI, you recognize teamwork is essential. So that would be the first sort of reimagination piece. Because then we could now look at the actual issues that these people face without confirmation bias. Yeah. Right? Because most of us do confirmation bias these days, which is I'm only looking for information to support my beliefs. Yep. <laughs> right. so, so quick follow-up, because this is great. What, how do you measure EI? What metric would you use? Well, it's made up of, oh, Daniel Goldman says there's four main components, mm -hmm. self-awareness, self-management, empathy, and relationship skills. Mm -hmm. And based on the scoring of those skills, evaluation of those four skills, you get a composite score of emotional intelligence. Got it. Um, and it's it it's measured in very different ways than IQ is measured. All right. So most college universities, these are places where high IQ people exist. Right. And so this is where they sort of collect, do research, yada, yada, yada. And an AD department is going to be under an umbrella of education, mm -hmm. which again, they're focused on the gathering of knowledge, the understanding of knowledge. They themselves wouldn't be considered high performers because they're looking at things that measure performance. Right. And we know that EI measures leadership skills and performance, right? So, so we have to look at what a high performing AD team would be versus just say, here are some leadership practices you should practice. Right. Well, they will be practiced differently if inherently their source code wasn't coming from an emotionally intelligent 
space, right? You get upset yeah. with someone, your goal is to make that relationship better, not keep distance from them, right? So an AD doesn't have their favorites, right? So these are the things that people know they won't ever see or touch, but right. we know. The undiscussables. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because that person ends up always at the baseball games, but never at the basketball games, you know? Uh, yeah. But you can't put your finger on it because they don't said to you they don't like basketball, you know? Yep. So I will, after each of these, with your permission, I will yes. summarize and, and kind of tell me if I hit the high note. So yeah. first and foremost, at the AD level, we're talking about recruiting for EI specifically. You're surrounding yourself with people who have high EI that can thus set the tone for this, the other levels. And part of that kind of attached to this is one of the unfortunate realities of athletics is highly siloed people have their own lanes that's where they stay and so this idea of group collective communication and thought is is a rarity in my lived experience of 10 years being a college coach so changing that into a real collective effort that it is a department-wide effort not an individual coach not individual ad department-wide and lastly, one of my pet peeves is the failure to walk the walk. And what I mean by that is every athletic department has a slogan on the wall. You know, dream big, determination wins the day. And yet, if you ask people, coaches, players, and I've done it, hey, is that slogan true? They laugh. No, that's not. There's not a lived version of that. So what I'm hearing you say is it we need to invite the shadow into the room with us. That is warts and all. Let's mm -hmm. let's be open to it mm -hmm. as we are open to the beauty and the wonderful things. Let's look at all and let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to walk the walk, let's walk the walk. Mm -hmm. So in summary, recruit for EI. Sledgehammer the silo. You have to invite everyone into the room. And then also invite the shadow in effort to look at the whole picture. Be honest, open, and vulnerable to all that there is. Yes. Is that, a, is that an accurate summary? Yes. Okay. I am now going to steal all of these and just write a book. This whole podcast is going to be deleted. Gone. Yeah, I love it. I love yeah. it. I love it. Can I give you just uh, maybe, maybe please, it's the please. next step or it's yeah. part of that step, but it's the next step. And so this would include the coaches and maybe maybe even the players. Yeah. But to take that mantra, go big or go home, whatever yeah. the things on the wall, and actually create a mission vision statement. Okay. So expand that so that we know where we are, the shadow, and then what's our vision, where we want to go, where do we take you in four years? And then very specifically ascribe the values. Yes. Because when people ask me, Mike Screw, what behavior am I supposed to be doing? Your behavior is based on your values. Yes. So I tell people all the time, you are not your archetype or your feelings. You are your values. Yet I only meet with your anger. Be the values, right? So when people get stuck 
and figure out that the values are the key part of the way of living, right? The five values I have, six values I have are way people experience me. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what they are, it doesn't really matter. It's what you're going to experience because that's what I do. That's how yeah. I am, right? And so for these athletics departments to come up with those values and then further, further describe what it means to perform that value. These are expectations. Um, can I go on a rant for a quick second? You can do whatever you want. Most people in our country believe they are sovereign little countries unto themselves and use language like, we need to create boundaries. How inviting is it? You <laughs> yeah. just started in your yeah. athletic program and someone says, I want to let you know about the boundaries we have. Yeah, don't go there. Get the F out of here. Yeah. Are you yeah. kidding? Here's what we expect. This is how we expect you to perform. And guess what? We perform this way too. Yes. So we yes. get rid of the power dynamic by making sure that everyone, everyone, AD to the player, all performs the values. But you have to create clear expectations because Dr. Dunn, you and I both might have integrity, but we both both might do it differently. I'm applauding. So we need to, we need to sit together and say, what do we mean by integrity? Oh, I mean, see something, say something. Okay, great. Can you agree to that? Yep. Awesome. Now we're doing integrity that we agreed upon, right? So these values are under this mission vision statement, and they come with a list of, I don't know, three to four, five expectations. And guess what? Then we're all living it. And guess what? We've got a whole bunch of people who can act as accountability partners, to that performance. So the performance of the sport is one aspect. Yes. Performance of how we're going to human with each other yes. is based on that. And there is no power dynamic there. If a player sees the AD not performing the values, hey, I've got some feedback for you. Yep. So <laughs> right? so a quick, uh, a, a technical term for that would be organizational citizenship behaviors. Oh, love Wait. it. Yes. And, and I, I am so aligned with you. Having sat with so many teams there, look, it's it's not overly complicated. There are three questions to answer for organizational change. Where are we? Mm-hmm. Where do we want to go? And then what's in the way? So what's in the way and where did we go? Or where are we? That Those are known things. Mm-hmm. The future is unknown. And so that's scary. Of course it is. But to your point and to what I see is the values are the compass navigating the unknown requires a compass and orientation because look we don't know the steps per se you can't say a through z but we know the direction and as long as you have the compass you're moving in the right direction mm-hmm. can and i get a little meta about that i love it's, meta it's also your how yes okay most people talk about why and what maybe even who yeah we never talk about how Exactly. How am I supposed to interact with you? Do you know the single most challenging thing in college for students right now is basically they have interpersonal anxiety. Yep. I don't know how to talk to you. Like right here, right now, something happened and I don't know how to tell you. Yep. So if athletic departments, at least with their players, are setting the stage for this kind of performance... Your athletes are embedded as part of your school culture Mm -hmm. and they're looked up to. Holy crap. What if they are the ones that turn around the campus culture? 
because they're role modeling what we want to see in terms of behavior. Yep. Huge. 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 And uh, my two cents here on, on values, which I, I, I got a great sense when I, when I took some classes with FC Barcelona, which is one of the biggest soccer clubs in the world. But the point is basically have three. Don't need more. Three. Keep it simple. Mm-hmm. But here's, here's the love, the nuance that I loved. Higher, put them in a hierarchy because values can conflict Hmm. if you say Hmm. loyalty to your teammate and honesty two very important traits what if your teammate is cheating on a test are you loyal to them and not say anything or are you honest and not be loyal to them so this idea of values can have rub it's and so barcelona said rank them which is interesting. It's a very interesting concept to say, well, like, how do we default? You, if you weren't to rank, then you'd make sure that the expectations were clear. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Because yes, if the mm-hmm. words alone, honesty, integrity, yeah. and kindness exist, again, you're not sure how to interpret them and they could get conflicting. Great. Yeah. That's why at the expectation level, yes, it's clear, you know, if you see, say something in uh in our relationship that's different than academic integrity right yep yeah 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 i I want to put a massive stamp on a point you made which is language is confusing when you have a group of people say we believe in gratitude everybody needs to start coming together about how we co-create a shared meaning of that word because if you have 20 people in a room, there are 20 right. different interpretations. That's right. And when you have the explicit expectations, people can see you doing them. And you're more likely to do them as well. Yeah. Can I give you a quick analogy? This is your podcast, man. Run okay. It. Yeah. In uh, Finding Nemo. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> if you remember where all the fish and Dory got caught in the net. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh Little Nemo swims in and says, Dory, you got to swim down. And so Dory and Nemo kept saying, swim down, swim, swim, swim down. Now there's fish that are swimming down and there's other fish still just in chaos. And they still hear Dory and Nemo saying, swim down. It's not that they didn't hear it. All right. But then something magical happens. The net starts giving way and is going down. Yeah. What happens next? The other fish start swimming down. All right. So there is layers to this mm-hmm. in understanding organizational culture and what happens. It takes time for most of the fish to swim down. You're going to have your early adopters, the people who are going right. to do the expectations, and they're not going to necessarily just be the seniors. Okay. Or the people who've been there a long time, actually to be the opposite, the newest people to this organization, the freshmen and maybe a new employee have the most level of trust because they weren't there when Susan yelled and lost yeah. her shit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so we have to reimagine how we see these concepts also playing out. Um, but not everyone listens, even though they hear, they respond when they see other people doing it. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's some truth bombs dropping here, friends. I hope you're listening. Call me Dory. Uh <laughs> Coaches. 
So uh, what what I'm seeing, and I think it's it's obviously true. All this applies to all levels, but I'll bring up two two things I see in coaches, and I'm wondering how you respond and what you want to add to it. And that is for coaches, high EI essential mm-hmm. because power and fear. Mm-hmm. Athletics is full of fear. Coaches fearing they're going to get fired. Coaches having to rely on. 18 to 25 year old young people to make the right decisions to perpetuate their employment. Individual players who have defined themselves through their playing for most of their lives now in a situation where they're, they're wanting your approval or needing your sanction for them to play thus have their identity reinforced. So the power dynamics between coach and player and players and players i.e. class leaderships, and then how do we deal with fear? That's what I encounter. I'm wondering where you take that. Let's start talking about mentorship. Yep. But mentorship in my world right now means mentor to mentor. The model I use right now is mentor to mentor. There's no more mentees. Dr. Dunn has something to teach me and I have something to teach Dr. Dunn. And I'd say that because again, we're in a college um, environment, I would identify one mentorship cohort of either former players, alumni, mm-hmm. and within that cohort, identify coaches of that sport. So I used to play soccer at SU, but now I coach soccer at LeMoyne. I'm going to find my coaches who are at SU, but also are soccer coaches, right? So let's identify sort of these external partners who can level set, talk about history, share quick advice, but people of the discipline, but of the affinity. Yes. All right. And let's call that mentorship right? Because the alum gets a lot out of it too. I get to talk to coach. Awesome. All right. So everyone gets something out of that. Um, The other thing at the coach level would be to pair coaches with other coaches, but here's the, here's the pairing team sport to an individual sport coach, right? Those are two different types of coaches. Yes. And each could teach something to the other about how to coach mm-hmm. one is focused on individuals and others are focused on a group, you know? And so I think that that's a missing ingredient for coaches within the organization. Agree completely. Right. Uh, and then within that sport, rounding out another, a uh, third mentorship experience would be the seniors in the sport for a coach. All right. Two, three people who, you know, Hey, I'm thinking about making this decision. What do you think? Uh, what's going on with the team, right? All the, you know, whatever discourse yep. is necessary for that group. But again, it's in a mentorship construct. No one has power. We're just talking. Yes. Getting to know the reality of the situations, the things, uh, getting good advice, hearing it 17 times, knowing that that's probably the best advice. But I think with them, having sort of this arm into these three cohorts could be uh, added resources for that person who doesn't feel like I'm an administrator 
Uh, I'm not even seen as an employee of the college, right? It's they're sort of like one-off people. Not to mention the assistant coaches. Yep. Right. So they need more resources, and I think mentorship is the key there, um, which could quell their fear. Hey, this happens at every school. Exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. Or oh, that's really what happens in a team sport, but look to talk to that student individually about X, right? Again, with the resources you already have, let's start doing some mentorship. And again, every one of those things ostensibly aside from the time is free. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a a big, (laughs) a big elephant in the rooms that I, when I work with coaches is that whether it is, and I don't know, but whether it's a byproduct of the silo nature or the egoic nature of sport, Coach is always right. Coach has the plan. Coach needs to have the plan. And to some extent, a reaction to the weight of an entire program resting on the shoulders of one person and how that makes them feel. But there is a resistance that might be too strong a word, but I'm going to use it to coaching, to seeking coaching. Let's use mentorship to seeking avenues to get out of the bubble, to get out of the echo chamber of your mind, find a supportive community and to work through issues that yes. plague everyone. Yes. So what I'm hearing you say is you've identified three, I think three different mentor avenues. You have a contemporary cohort, i.e. I am a soccer coach. I'm not going to connect with other soccer coaches, not necessarily at my school, but you know, other schools, Maybe similar sizes, maybe not, doesn't matter, but doesn't soccer matter. coaches. And we're going to set up a time, monthly, whatever, just just riff. Mm-hmm. The second would be um, pair coaches of team sports with coaches of individual sports. How do we glean synergies from each other? How does a team construct help an individual? How does an individual help the team? Mm-hmm. And lastly... Uh, a, a senior or elder mentorship, meaning find the people who've been in the game a long time, have seen a lot, who can speak from that elder wisdom position, which is inherent in all cultures that we've got away from. But how do we just start learning and feeling this hard-won information and and uh, inspiration that a an older generation can can share with us did i get those right the last part the a senior like a student that's about to graduate oh a oh you meant a literal senior yes i didn't mean senior citizen yeah okay i thought you meant senior coaches so you're saying coaches talking with seniors yes okay yeah not all of them like two or three yeah these are like your blind spot kids they'll tell you the truth yeah because they're on their way out now there's no don't risk (laughs) there's no risk let yeah. them tell you, you know, and I'll throw another crazy twist in there. Talk with seniors from other sports because they will not have the same power constraints. They can, they talk to your sure. kids. Sure. Talk to them. Let Perfectly them teed up with the fact that you're paired with another coach. There you yes. go. Yes. Love it. Okay. Can I share one more thing? Go Just ahead. to double down. You were alluding to this relationship skills one of them is coaching and mentoring. So forget the actual coach sport. Yeah. Coaching as an action, mentorship as an action is a relationship skill. So whether you were actually teaching soccer, 
coaching and mentoring is what we do with each other when we have extraordinary relationships. So we're two colleagues working together. We're coaching and mentoring each other. It's a vibe. It's its yep. own vibe, right? So like, it just happens to be that that word is there right? as right. a noun, right? Right. But we're talking about the what they're performing is actually elevating their coaching and mentoring skills up from a relationship standpoint. And I have found the coaches who do that are unstoppable. They are the Agreed. icons of the school. I have been... I've worked at five colleges. Every time I went to a different college, someone introduced me to their icon retired coach. You have to make sure that you know so-and-so. And several of them would take me out to dinner and be like, let me tell you a story. A lot of my jobs were in alumni relations and they felt it was a necessary thing to do to tell me the stories so I could pass on their stories, right? These people meant a lot to a lot of people at school. Yes. Yes. And so these people are icons, you know what I mean? The great ones. And so if they can all improve their relationship skills, they will become those icons, beloved, beloved. And 100%. they don't worry about like whether or not someone got it, but they felt the college student felt seen, felt taken yes. care of, yes. right? And that's what I could tell you. These colleges, poor students don't feel they're in a safety net. Yep, exactly. They don't feel anyone has eyes on them, you know, and these coaches could play a really beautiful role in helping with that. There's gold here, people. I hope you're taking notes. There's gold here. Uh, last, and I'm very conscious of time. Are you okay? Okay. Yeah. Uh, the, the last is, is players. Mm -hmm. And I want to reiterate, I think all that we say applies to everyone, but in the case of players themselves, I immediately go to what you said about managing yourself. Mm -hmm. That is a skill. How do you manage yourself? Particularly when you're in a situation that is not giving you what you want. Mm -hmm. And specifically in sport, the currency is playing time. That is a very superficial level. There is relational value, connection to other people. But let's you know kind of keep it simple for this and say, let's take soccer 11 people play you know maybe four others five others six others might sub and then the rest are not going to play and that really weighs on people so what advice do you give to players to manage that whole environment well first i would say and i would say this about any college student but even more so in this arena see what i did there arena yeah, yeah. i like that uh um, everybody has a buddy. Oh. Everyone has a buddy. Mm -hmm. All right. So you start freshman year on a sport, you've got a buddy. Now I'm two minds about this. If you're starting it out, I think the buddy is on the same sport. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so your buddy, uh, is there for you to help you stay accountable to the expectations of athletics. Your buddy is there to ask you how you're doing when no one else is. Your buddy is um, going to have lunch with you when no one else is, right? Your buddy is just uh, tied to you. And your buddy equally performs the things they do for you, you do back, right? Yes. And having that relationship, because we have to remember a lot of these athletes go to schools, they are seen not as accessible by most students, to be honest. Mm -hmm. 
you see them at the college parties, but that's yep. about it, right? They're, you're not their friends, yep. right? So within that structure, we have to give permission for that kind of relationship. And it's probably most likely going to be another player because they know what you're going through. They know yep. what they know, the, the, the saga that's going on with coach, you know? Yeah. And so, but everyone has a buddy and you're going to get some sort of mentorship curriculum your freshman year, your sophomore year, junior year. That's it. Yeah. Right. That's outside of just playing. Right. So if you're not playing, you're taking the pictures for uh, what's going on in the dugouts. You're telling the narrative or the story, right? I'd love to see more storytelling to develop communication skills of players come out of their sport. Right. You've got the most, uh, the the most amount of people in a, uh, uh, department, <laughs> athletic department of the players get their pictures, get their ideas, get their fun, quick stories. These are the things that colleges love to share, <laughs> but uh, they're just sort of, it's all locked up sort of in this space. So you've got a pipeline to your, your communications person, sports information person who's getting the shots when they need them. Right. I mean, Every 18 year old there wants to be an influencer these days, right? Uh, yep. So let's let's turn the power of that on for these players, so that we can get these stories and narratives and 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 make sure it finds its way into this sort of curriculum they're they're sort of building out year to year for the team, right? Whether they take all those pictures and put them in the 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 reel at the end of the year, I mean, no one does a slideshow at the end of the year because there's no film. It's all on Snapchat, yeah, right? Yeah. So like, let's bring back some of the hard copy of what they're doing for purpose, right? And so, uh, and that's not going to be hard for them to do. No. Right, so you're sitting on the bench, you've got a job to do. Capture the story of this particular team. What makes it special? What What's Jimmy doing and Susie doing? Oh God, I, I hope their names that's are not Jimmy and Susie, Jimmy, but Susie. maybe they are. Uh, yeah. Back in my day, yeah. you see, yeah, uh, like give them just more to do, right? That the playing is part of it, but storytelling is the other part, right? What people yeah. remember about their team and their sport. Um, there's just so much value to that, but give them a role, yeah, and uh, but that's everybody, right? The players uh, could do it too, uh, but there's a lot of idle time in a sport, yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. So get yeah. to work. I would, I would go forward and say the shift here is that in my opinion, performance is actually not the currency. Mm. It's relational. Yes. So if we change that focus from, of course we want to perform at our best. That's why we do the sport. But if one's value to a program is based on one's ability to perform, you are limiting your program. Mm -hmm. If you were a relationally driven team that performed, I do believe that is the future. And, and look, it's been around, it's nothing new, but we can look at dynasties, teams that have had, you know, longitudinal success. What's the thing? Relational optimization. This yes. was a team that knew how to relate to each other in a way that brought out their best. And that means the value of a player is the same if they're on the field or off the field mm -hmm. and that everyone has a role to contribute. And what I loved about what you said was it is a training environment. It is a practice environment. We give you a coach's 
external consultants, whoever you pick, present a curriculum. Mm-hmm. We're going to help you, support you, mentor you as you learn these skills. But you got to practice them. And how do you practice them? You have a buddy. There you I go. Have a buddy. Mm-hmm. And Brilliant. you can up- upgrade the name buddy if buddy doesn't work. Uh, pale. Like, uh, so, yeah, yeah. 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 Make it an acronym. Sure. Positive uh, athlete league. I don't know. Whatever. Something, right? Make it like a legit thing. And again, they, they have so much idle time. And, you know, just what we're seeing at college campuses is the students are trolling history to find ways to be outraged about stuff. You've got a lot of time if that's what you're doing. Yeah. All right. We got things you could solve now. What if you're, you're inspiring future uh, soccer players? to come to your school, right? And I'm not saying they should be posting all this information. I'm just saying, keep the story, right? Yes. Take a photo, send it to your sports information director with what what happened, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, give, a, give a play-by-play of the little video that you just shared from your vantage point, right? Yep. Um, whether that goes into training purposes, let's watch the video that Jimmy got. This is what you did good here, right? Um, versus, you know, everything possibly being negative or, you know, uh, what have you. I just think there's so much from their lens of a story that, especially for Division One sports, the newscaster is not sharing. Yep. Right? Jimmy's yep. playing today because his mom is going through chemo and blah, 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 blah. Right? That's a story. That's a narrative that the team should know. You know, and talk about, or or at least Jimmy's talking to his buddy about. You know, yep. I I digress. Roar. Relationships of athletes are real. Oh, copyrighted, copyrighted, two thousand twenty-three. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, no, I just it, made shirts. Too late. I made oh, shirts. Man. <laughs> Canva, you did it again. Uh, but I I would add too. This is brilliant. But I would add, um. Uh, the conversations about inviting the shadow in the room so essential for all these levels, especially the team. You got to invite the shadow in a room with a safe space in a container that can hold it. Yes. Because there are unspoken things happening that everyone knows mm-hmm. and no one talks about. Mm-hmm. You got to be willing to face that as a coach, as a player. So there's tentacles here into many other branches, mm-hmm. but things like relational accountability, you are accountable for how you treat yourself and others. Any uh, Anything other for, for players before I have one more? I would say that players should open themselves up to every wellness program on that campus uh, in terms of their like identity and like uh, uh, attendance. I'm not saying everything, but we could fill out a whole calendar of events yep. at colleges for wellness and blah, blah, blah. If one player each can endorse, share, get people to, right? Students sometimes are their own worst enemies. Mm-hmm. And um, there's much conversation, obviously, about players and earning income uh, yeah. as a result, yeah. right? If they're earning income, then yeah, all right, let's 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 start using your PR for internal purposes and helping other students. You know what I mean? At this point, I would say then just offer it as a volunteer opportunity. Hey, yeah. um, can you help uh, with uh, Heart Awareness Month and, you know, fundraise, whatever the things might be. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Because they would obviously draw more interest. You know, look at yeah. the Buffalo Bills guy who uh, had his, uh, was it stroke? Yeah. Um, Heart attack? One stroke? of those things, right? Yeah. It was very bad. Yes. And his charity just inherited millions of dollars, right? Players have an ability to draw awareness to important things. And so there's important things happening on their on their own campus. Yes. And so I would just say that that's, that's an effort in service and volunteerism, you know, so I would find a way to embed some sort of volunteerism or service component that, you know, interacts with their fellow students um, of their choice, you know, like every semester, hey, the coach gives you 50 things, can you tick off the list, which things could you could be part of based on your time and interest, you know, but we're asking y'all to one one thing, one yep. thing, you know. It's important to note here, coming from two coaches, if you are a coach, you are not necessarily trained in the how to maximize relational dynamics. Mm-hmm. I have the highest license of coaching in the United States for soccer. Mm-hmm. Not any of that was about relationships. I am a wizard with X's and O's. I can do it. I had to learn the hard way about relationships. So if you don't have those skills, A, go get them, go get a coach. Or B, bring a coach into your program that can help your program learn this stuff. Preach. So that's our our little uh, caveat to this. Last but not least, recruits. Mm. Because now you are inviting people into experience your culture. Let's not kid ourselves. It is a sales meeting. We want you to come here. Look mm-hmm. at what we have. Mm-hmm. How do we how do we invite recruits into this utopia that we are now outlining? Yeah. I think there has to be a social media plan, which is fed now by the curated stuff the players have created for you mm-hmm. that's more authentic and real than the admissions office because mm-hmm. they're going to share about the experiences you're going to have hey this is all of us having a meal in the calf together before uh work at, working out yeah right so from a recruitment level the more those players are engendering in terms of contents uh stories narratives about their experiences you are now showcasing to the recruits, but the recruits, uh, you know, not only will you have that content, but create a community for them. You know, one of the things that I'm most proud of um, was a, uh, a program I created at Lemoyne um, for young dolphins. And basically I created Wait, a, I'm sorry. What? The mascot of Lemoyne is a dolphin. It's not literally for young dolphins. There yeah, you go. Yeah, Just yeah, in yeah, case yeah. people are getting distracted. Good question. Good question. Yeah. Um, and possibly, and, and still possibly. Yeah, it's still possibly young dolphins. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but basically, I, I took a marketing and mission strategy and layered it into what I'm suggesting here, which was I created a club for newborns and for uh, little kids and tweens and teenagers for your eventual application to Lemoyne. All right. So in each piece of this, it was really a parent program that turned into a recruitment strategy. So if you told us you had a baby, you'll get the baby bib. 
and we found some um, fun little things you could watch online with the kid. And then it just graduated from there. The little kid had a, a coloring uh, thing you could download, which was a dolphin. Uh, eventually hit the uh, teen years and apply early admissions to LeMoyne. Come visit us at school, right? So I would say take that sport and create a whole family of products, services for the long term, right? Yes. Um, and have kids join it as soon as or parents join it as soon as they're uh, interested and then have that kid join as soon as they're able to sort of join, but they'll know about the summer lacrosse camp. They'll know about who they could talk to if they want to get an opinion of a player, right? Like create an environment that's accessible to those recruits um, or recruit parents, frankly, Mm -hmm. right. And find a way to make that fun, exciting and then lead to like this sales funnel of application slash um attention of the coach do you know what yeah. i mean but like we're gonna have to do more you know gen xers didn't have enough kids going to college and so <laughs> back when we were everyone was having kids when they were 20s we waited to 30s and 40s and so as a result there's a dip in terms of available 13 year olds right now who are college bound right and we're sort of in the midst of that in new york state and so you're going to have to be very unique and competitive. And that's just not at the college level. That's going to have to be at the athletic department. Right. Right. And what frames all that stuff? If you're thinking, what content do I create? You create around your values, the values that you created, co-created with your team. That's right. That is the inroads because again, emotional intelligence, very important. You got to recruit for it. Relational intelligence, relational ability. I think it's essential. But if you're wondering, well, what do we, what messages do we send? You want to attract people who want to be part of your values. So that is your frame. Whatever you create, it can be around those values. Um, Talent is wonderful. Talent does a lot. But not every talented player is a good fit for your program. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're at a point where you should be very particular. Because you can sabotage your environment really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, any final word on recruits? Yes. As soon as that recruit is old enough and considering college and all that, uh, create an option for a pen pal program. And yes, I think you have to have some sort of curation there. You can get from the players. Give me content for this response to create that relationship, but wouldn't it be neat if the buddy you get is the person that's the pen pal? Now, do you, just to be clear, do you see pen pals as in pen pals, recruits to recruits, recruits to current players, recruits to alumni? How do you see it? Recruit. Well, so that's wonderful. Yes. All, but like Mm -hmm. in my thought there was uh, recruit to player. Got it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, coach is already doing those sort of things, but the players could be, you know, uh, you get them pizza on Sunday night. Hey, these are all the questions we got. Yeah. Who's wanting to answer? And then the admissions person or someone in the athletic department. Film it and upload it. There you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yes, that's right. Michael, this is just solid gold. 
I, uh, looking at the time, I'm very conscious and I'm very respective of yours. So I'm going to say this. Thank you so much for jumping on this podcast. I really hope people listen to this. Uh, Michael is a superhero in this space. I say that. You don't have to say it. I'm saying it. It's true. Michael, where can people find more about you if they want to find you? michaelscrow.com and you are on instagram you're all over all the things there's probably triple accounts yeah all of them are me yeah <laughs> and recently became a reverend yes uh really quick you want to give us a, a little yeah, story so there if you're in the business of getting married i'll be your reverence but also i could also be your marriage coach there you and go. so we have a marriage coaching program leading up to the big day so it's not just the big day services. Uh, you could also opt into um, learning about each other uh, before that big day. And uh, for those of you who've been together for a long time and you want to have an anniversary celebration, you need officiant, I'm your person. So when you go to michaelscrow.com, you will see that he he and his team do, do a lot. So there's coaching, there's training. Uh, and you can find basically anything that fits your particular situation, whatever industry you're in, small team, big team, organization, individual. He's the man. So, Michael, thank you so much for being here for this. You're welcome so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Performance Rising podcast. If you like what you heard, you can check us out online at performancerising.org. We're on Instagram at performance underscore rising.